Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. with another episode in our Hoyd's Parables mini-series. Last time, we looked at both Fleet and Wandersail, and this time we are exploring what some people definitely believe is the greatest parable or even like the greatest part of the Stormlight <gasps> Archive. Wow, this, really? Yeah, this There are a, a lot, lot of, of people, okay. I have not seen that, but good to know. Most popular uh, moment. I mean, I think it has some recency bias, of course, because it's from Oathbringer. And the way that it is told in that story, I think, has attracted a lot of people to it. I think The scenes are very memorable. Exactly. And so I think where Fleet and Wandersail definitely like worked their way into people's memory. We also didn't like see any follow-up necessarily from that where the girl who stood up is such a powerful transformation moment for our main character Shalon that it is embedded in people's memory a lot deeper in that way. And so we want to do it justice. We want to bring a lot of attention to the girl who looked up and the girl who stood up. Do we have a way that we are going to call them or is it? Yeah, well, I think I think you bring up a good point. Just as we like sat down to the microphones to record this, I had this thought of like, wait a second, we are including this with Hoyd's parables, but this is kind of the only one that is like maybe not. Hoyd's parable, because first of all, Shalon is the first person in this book who tells the story. And then, and Hoyd actually has another parable in Oathbringer that we're going to get to next time. And then we hear Hoyd retell this story later. So there is kind of an interesting thread to this story that adds some weight and some importance to it. And it is called two different things throughout the book. I think that the proper title of the story and what they would call it on Rashar is the girl who looked up. Okay. And Hoyd, he doesn't Changes change. It, yeah. He doesn't really change it. It's just the title of that chapter is the girl who stood up in a reference to Shalon. Okay, so we will use the appropriate Risharian-based title of The Girl Who Looked Up. I think that connection to its history and the question of, is this a parable? Is this a myth? Is this actual history and fact? Mm-hmm. Is what makes this story so interesting because it's hitting on so many different levels all at once. And of course, then you tie in the very personal nature of shallan's journey in oathbringer and her advancement as a knight radiant and all the different aspects with a little dash of that patented hoid mystery and it's just ripe for the taking of just great stories let's start with actually a word of brandon about the origination of the girl who looked up yeah this is a great little tidbit that will kind of wet our palate for this episode. User Sparkle Hearts asked, the girl that looked up, is that a real story that happened in Rashar or just a metaphor? 
And Brandon responds, so Hoy heard it from someone. He did not make it up. Because I think that Shalon told the story. Well, he told the story too. He knew the story. She knew the story. What you're asking is if it's actually historical. Yes. Did it happen? I'll give you a raffo because there's actually a little bit to it that I can't talk about that probably tells you more than I even should already. There are some weird things about that story, particularly the version that Hoyd is involved in. Shallan tells half the story, and then later on Hoyd comes and the story happens again, but differently. But there are weird things when Hoyd is involved in the story that are relevant. End quote. I mean, I think that tells us all we need to know and what we're going to be looking for in this episode. Weird things when Hoyd is involved <laughs> that are relevant. That's our entire podcast. And questions about historical nature of story. So let's start with the first telling, which is done by Shalon. And she is actually retelling a story that she saw performed by a traveling children's theater troupe. So this is already setting this story apart from the stories we talked about last time, which like Kaladin didn't really seem to have ever heard, didn't know about. They're just stories that Hoyd was telling and potentially adding uh, you know, Rasharan details to make them make sense. This story we know exists on Rashar, outside of Hoyd um, and outside of Shalon as well. So this truly is a piece of Rasharan folklore. Pattern actually is very attracted to this telling from Shalon's perspective. He calls plays a group lie and wishes that he could see one because, quote, I could understand people mm, through the lies they want to be told, end quote. Obviously, I love me some pattern, and that concept of the lies that we want to be told hits so hard. A, we're reading books about superheroes <laughs> and whatnot, and our media is filled with these characters that are larger than life and going through incredible trials, and that tells us something about what we want. You know, the stories that are told by us are also the stories that we want told to us. I think that's good commentary on what Hoyd is doing with all of these stories as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that like his role in trying to help people understand themselves and trying to inspire them in different ways through these lies. That is kind of like Hoyd's whole MO. <laughs> so Shalon tells this story. And I won't, you know, we won't go through the whole thing. Yeah, we're not we've doing all, a reading yeah, on this We've episode. all read it. If you need a refresher, then go read it. It's chapter 25. <laughs> what I will do is put a link to both versions, both chapters from the Tor website rereads. So you should be able to at least get their commentary and direct links if you need them. It's in the show notes. Essentially, there is a girl in a dark land and there is a large wall. No one knows why the wall is there, but says, don't go past it or you'll die. Girl is like, I'm going to find out. Climbs the wall, gets to the top. And I thought it was interesting. There's this point where the girl, as Shalon is telling the story, is traveling towards the wall. And she specifically says that the only creatures that the girl sees are Kremlings that are like clicking at her. And of course, every time we see Kremlings, we're like, are they a sleepless? And so I certainly had that thought and thought maybe that is something that can sort of help us place this story yeah. 
in time if it did take place a story from amia maybe or like maybe or just you know an ancient time when the sleepless were more mm, yes. prevalent another thing that i was noticing as shalon is telling this story that i don't think i remembered originally is that this story is really a moment, like you were saying, that's really important to Shalon's character growth. And I think you were mostly talking about the scene with Hoyd later in the book. But this scene, when she's telling it the first time, is really when her light weaving starts to take off. And she comments to herself several times, Shalon does, that her light weaving as she's telling this story, is more advanced than anything that she's ever done before. And she's kind of like, huh, this is weird. Like, why am I so good all of a sudden? And she even kind of loses control of some of the details a little bit in the way that usually she needs a drawing to pull from when she creates these illusions. She's kind of restricted in that way. And we've Especially seen Especially when it comes to details like faces. faces. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that that's something true about other light weavers as well, where they're pulling from different things in their own nature, sort of. Shalon uses drawing because that's what she does. And there are several details in this story as she's weaving it that are not from drawings that she's done. And then she even notices at one point that the girl has changed in appearance. Quote, was her hair white when she started? Shalon frowned, end quote. Spoiler, it was not white when they started. Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. And so I thought this was really interesting. And like, maybe Shalon, maybe this is another instance where Shalon is sort of seeing through time. We know that she does this a couple times and she's able to see things that are happening in other places. Maybe she is somehow able to see the historical figure, whoever the girl was in history. And like that person had white hair and she's like channeling that into the story. Okay. So stay with me. This is my kind of crazy connection corner that we are going to build right now. (laughs) We're going to have to keep that. Yeah. Cosmere Conversations, crazy connection corner with Tyler. Here we go. I think that what you said about connecting to the actual historical figure, the girl, is a really good point because we have to remember that A, there is a thing in the Cosmere capital C connection Mm -hmm. and that Shalon is in some way accessing the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. through her powers that allows her to bring something real and true about her subjects that is then captured in her drawings or in her light weaving. And so she's pulling from the spiritual realm. She is getting some truth of the people. I'm so glad that you're saying this right now because we're going to circle back to all of this. So everyone just listen very carefully. Now I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me, but here we go. We're in the corner so I can say anything I want. And she is pulling something true for each of her characters. So when she starts this story of the girl who looked up, it's like she has tapped into the spiritual realm. The way that her powers work, you know, it's basically kind of trying to locate her, the girl. And then when it finds her, it starts to pull real facts and truth about the girl and then brings and then fills in Shalon's light weaving with the actual reality that existed. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. We've seen in her drawings 
in the past that she is sort of able to capture the best essence of Mm -hmm. a person in her drawings, which is why people love them so much. Yes. We've not seen her do that with her light weaving up until this point. But again, this is kind of that point when suddenly her light weaving takes off in a new, more advanced way. And what you said about her secondary power, because correct me if I'm wrong, but the Truth Watchers and the Light Weavers have crossover. Is that correct? They share illumination. Exactly. Which, yeah, this is why I'm like, I think Shalon can see like capital S C Mm -hmm. in some ways because of this illumination power. Like it is illuminating, you know, we use use light to see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it is giving her some access into the spiritual realm so that she can see something that she and then pull that out, you know, take that information out. Let's dive back into the story kind of proper. Enough speculation. Let's get into the real hard details. That's what the people come to us for. Right. To continue with the story, as Shalon tells it, the girl climbs up the wall via some like outcroppings of scary gargoyles and spikes and things like that. She gets to the top and on the other side, she sees, quote, a perfect society lit by stormlight, end quote. And she suddenly realizes that the thing that the wall is meant to keep out is her, basically her and her village and the people are the things that are meant to be kept out. And that's basically where Shalon leaves the story is just like, it was us. We were the monsters all along. And Pattern is like, uh, but like, what ha- what happens after that? What's Lame the story. end of the story? Yeah. And Shalon's like, oh, whatever. She And she sort of offhandedly just says, the girl steals some stormlight, the mm-hmm. storms blow down the wall, and that's it. Like, beginning of the storms. Yeah, beginning of the high storms and the recycling of the light that she stole as like a permanent signal. Yeah. So... This is the story as Shalon tells it, maybe partially uh, Shalon's own bias sort of ending the story here or telling it like that, right? The lie that she wants to be told is that humans are monsters because she in many ways believes that she is a monster. But it's also possible that this is just the way that the story exists on Rashar as, as an explanation mm-hmm. of how high storms came to be. Which would also parallel the story that we learned from Fleet, where his story, if you take it as like, what is it getting at about Rosharian history? Well, the storms already existed when Fleet races. They already existed, but the concept of like why the storms stop at Shinovar and don't oh. go over Shinovar is like it's Fleet's final resting place is where the storms end, where he fell down because he didn't make it all the way to the end of Rashar, which would be a cross shinovar so the storms start to stop early this would be like where did the storms begin so you have kind of a beginning of the storms end of the storms i could see both of those as like existing on rashar for that purpose specifically and that concludes the girl who looked up let's talk more now about the girl who stood up because we have to jump forward in oathbringer from chapter 25 to chapter 82 to get the second telling of this story now with Hoyd's involvement. And this is a classic Hoyd tells a story (laughs) situation where Shalon is very upset. Hoyd shows up and he's like, 
I'm going to tell you a story. He starts to try to tell this story, and it is what he says, quote, a story from long ago, end quote. He starts to try to light weave in the way that he does when he tells these stories, but he quote unquote can't. His like light weaving supposedly fails. I don't buy it. And he's like, Shalon, I just, I need your help to tell this story. Will you light weave for me? Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of uh, Professor Lupin giving the kids chocolate. He's like, here, take this chocolate. It's going to make you better. <laughs> and it does because it's chocolate. Hoyt is giving her a little bit of chocolate in the way of like, you can help like, me. Come on, you can do it. Yeah. And that's yeah. going to be her path forward to just take that next step. So she does. And she creates the scene again. However, there are some differences. First, once again, her light weaving is much, much better than normal. Yeah, she's leveled up again. Yeah, she's like, wow, I can't even see the room around me. Like, this is way better than I usually do. And then, to me, this is an interesting sign because we know that there is another instance when Shallan's light weaving is often boosted, and that is when she is in the presence of Dalinar, the bondsmith. I assume that would also mm-hmm. apply to Navani later as well, but maybe in a different form. Yeah, I think those have really specific effects. Exactly. Very specific. Not just like general boosted power, but like she can do something specific with because of the their... other radiant. And Hoyd would be like the generalist. He is like generally boosting her powers because he's got a little bit of all the powers. I mean, he may also be doing his version of light weaving at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's like kind of a background of light weaving that's making hers look better and she just doesn't recognize it. What I love about this is that of course by the end of Oathbringer, Shalon is incredibly powerful in her light weaving and this is little glimpses along the way to her final transformation, a transformation where we have question if she was a fourth ideal night radiant at that point because her illusions seemed so advanced having real physical weight behind them as well as detail that is previously unseen so i love that these moments are also shallan boost moments because they happen in a way that is kind of uh, the counterpoint of something like Kaladin that's a really big fight scene and, you know, a big mm-hmm. moment of bursting out of energy. Shallan is bursting in energy, but it's through storytelling. And I find that really cool. Totally. This moment has also been compared to Kaladin's connection with Tien before his fourth ideal boost. So that's kind of an interesting just an interesting little tidbit there the whole situation is very reminiscent of each other yeah which makes sense so she creates this scene again basically the same as she did before and hoyd corrects her light weaving he says no 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 you need to change it and then i think he actually changes it for her he says quote in those days there was no light end quote and so in in Hoyd's version, it's not just that the village is in shadow, in the shadow of the wall, but it's actually dark, like pitch black, nighttime. There's like a couple stars in the sky, but it is absolutely dark. And Shalon has this moment of like, oh, 
actually, that makes way more sense. Now, obviously, the villagers are not just like ignoring the wall. They literally can't see that the wall is there at all. This makes way more sense for the story. And I love that we get to see this change and then immediately ask ourselves, wait, what is the accurate version? Is it a world that's completely dark or was Shallan's first telling the right one? She seems to think that the second is better and makes more sense. Yeah, and I'm going to say Hoyd's version is closer to the reality. real version. Yeah, I think that's a great call. And it definitely could be that it makes logical sense. And yeah, at the same it does time, make sense. I am wondering if it is also Hoyd changing something to set up the eventual mm. potency of the story. I don't think so, but let's keep going. So same events of the story happens. The girl asks a bunch of people. She travels to the wall. She climbs up the wall. And then Hoyd does another one of his patented storytelling moves. He pauses. The Hoyd break. Yeah. And he asks Shalon, because this is what he always does, right? He he requires a lot of audience participation. <laughs> he asks Shalon, quote, was she stupid or bold? How should I know? Wrong answer. She was both. It wasn't stupid. If nobody asked questions, then we would never learn anything. End quote. This is interesting. And quite a few people on the internet have pointed out that this is kind of the only time that Hoyd uh, tells the audience that their participation is wrong, basically. Usually he goes with whatever they say, right? Kaladin says, fleet is dead. And Hoyd's like, okay, that's the way we're going to tell the story. Like, it's a very choose-your-own-adventure situation. Mm -hmm. And this is really the only time that he's like, no, actually, this is the answer. And some people feel that that is important because it might hint at or point to real historical events. Right, and like, like Hoyt's relationship with this story. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's fine to improvise with a story, but if it's history, there is like some purpose of telling it as true as possible. Sure. And then they kind of go on to debate the various merits of the fact that the girl has, you know, defied the wisdom of her, her elders and gone on this quest. And there's an, an interesting moral that Shalon takes from this. She says, quote, is that what you're trying to teach me then? Shalon snapped. The fine distinction between choosing for yourself and ignoring good advice, end quote. And her her whole demeanor towards this story, because he's telling a story she's already heard, like she's already decided what she thinks the moral of the story is or like what the story is about. And like we said before, the rest of the story is just kind of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. But Hoyd pushes her beyond that point. You know, she's like, yeah, I get it. She gets to the top of the wall. She realizes the humans are monsters. The end. And Hoyd's like, no, 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 no. That's not the end, though. Let's keep going. And so Hoyd kind of takes over the story from there. And he says, quote, beyond the wall was God's light, end quote. Capital G, capital L, God's light. Not stormlight, like Shalon said. This is a really big difference, I think. In Shalon's story, the girl looks and she sees a perfect society lit by stormlight. Hoyd says that there was God's light beyond the wall. And this is where another type of person would argue that the difference between that word choice is hinting that this is not a Rasharian story, that this is coming from some other place talking about some other god. Yeah, I mean, light. I think you can say like 
Stormlight is godlike. Of course. And of course it is, in a sense. But we have a word for it already. But yeah, it does seem like this is maybe hinting at something else. Now, of course, we do have a thing that is very much like a city that would be lit by God's light, and that is the Tower of Urethiru. So there are, you know, other things on Rashar that conceivably could fit this role, but it is these slight variations in the story where everybody likes to let their mind imagine all the possible scenarios that it could be. And then same kind of thing. The girl sneaks over. She takes a piece of the light. She brings it back to her village. And in this version, in Hoyd's version, instead of the storms destroying the wall, the storms boil over the wall. So nothing is destroyed. It's almost like her bringing the light over, like gives the storms permission to come into that side of the wall. So that's an interesting distinction. And then Wit says of this whole thing, quote, the people suffered, but each storm brought light renewed, for it could never be put back now that it had been taken. And people, for all their hardship, would never choose to go back, not now that they could see, end quote. So we have an association between light and knowledge or, you know, progress that once you start down that path, you can't go back or you would never choose to go back. Yeah. And so there are certainly some earthbound stories and myths that fall along a similar line. The Adam and Eve Christian Genesis story is all about that tree of knowledge and the light of the perfect world that is then yeah. left to escape. It reminded me a lot of the Adam and Eve story in that quote, the idea that, you know, they bite the apple and then they have the knowledge and they can't take it back. And importantly, that they wouldn't want to even if they could, just for all you fun <laughs> folks out there. I believe that this is a great intersection of story and religion because in the Stormlight Archive, religion is more frowned upon. We obviously have Yasna, who is a character that's atheistic, and we have a lot of the religious characters shown in a way, or like the religion as a institution is kind of either crumbling or, you know, have that whole hierarchy thing that puts it in a different mental position than these stories, which are often telling the same thing, but using a different path or a different vehicle to do so. I believe that gives us a good background on the two stories and the two versions. Do you want to talk about some trauma? Of course. When don't we? Can't avoid talking about trauma when talking about the Stormlight Archive. I think that this story and both of them in parallel are a great example of how trauma is processed differently, especially when put in context with Dalinar's story, which is the main focus of Oathbringer. So this is a secondary B-plot in that book. They're obviously both processing trauma that occurred long in their past and that both of them, using different mechanisms, pushed down into their, their memory holes mm -hmm. or to try to forget and that those traumas are being re-experienced or brought up anew with their changes in powers and whatnot. 
I think that this is one of the main reasons why this story resonates with so many individuals is that we have introduced these characters. We know that they are filled with different types of trauma, and we know that in order for them to have growth, there has to be some processing of that trauma. And this is Shalon's opportunity to do so. And I think, especially, you know, reading recently all of the different kind of outpouring of emotion that people expressed for this story and like how moving and important was, it's just such a great reminder that Brandon is dealing with things that are very delicate, very personal, could very easily go very wrong <laughs> incredibly quickly. And instead, he's able to perfectly balance the emotional, the personal, the character building, the world building, and he puts it all in this way that is deliverable to us as readers. Yeah, I kind of wonder if, like, I almost want to hear a third iteration of course of this we need one more story you gotta triangulate because i mean the story itself doesn't really have anything to do with trauma or processing trauma it's really the fact that shalon that that's the message that shalon takes away from it exactly right that again she stops at that point in the story where it's like well people are monsters and they don't deserve anything yeah her perspective if we like if we want to read this from a religious lens we could also compare it to the uh, many christian religions and like yes humans are the monsters that are trying to be kept out but you know god forgives us and will bring us his light or you know his forgiveness whatever especially that second version of the story where the storms come to the village in a more peaceful way uh and so that aspect of like push past the part where you're broken and there is something on the other side that you deserve light even though you are sometimes a monster <laughs> i think that is wonderfully well said the descriptions that we get in the second version and Hoyd's version of the story, of course, coincides with one of the very lowest points that we see Shallan and why it's so reminiscent of Kaladin a book later when Hoyd returns again. Both of them are at that low point. And the story is, of course, mainly, as you said, about Shalon and her perception of story and her perception of herself. So when Hoyd creates the two illusions of Shalon, the two different versions of herself, which is, side note, kind of reminiscent of what Allomancy can do in the... Oh, gold, you mean? Yes. And he is, yeah. at that point, we believe, a full Mistborn. So I, I wonder what exactly he was doing to create two different versions of Shallan. Well, to show it to her, it would have to be more than just Allomancy. I agree. Yeah. So it's definitely his light weaving. But I am also questioning if it was something else and how can he combine different yeah. powers. Yeah. So he creates these two different versions of Shallan. They've both experienced the same thing. They've both been traumatized in the exact same way. And to the first, he says, quote, a lot has happened to this poor girl, hasn't it? Shallan replies, many people have suffered more and they get along fine. End quote. That's step one, because Hoyd then 
touches that version of Shallan and she collapses and crumbles. And No, Shallan does it. Shallan looks at that illusion and she like sends all of her bad emotions into it. Mm -hmm. And the illusion Shallan is like not able to handle those emotions and she crumbles. But then it is through the second illusion of Shallan, the one that is able to forgive herself and to live on, as Hoyt will say in a moment, that is able to stand strong when all of those terrible experiences and emotions are pushed out again. And so you have the Shallan, both Shallans can exist, and our Shallan is choosing between which version she is going to become or actually already is. Hoyd says this, quote, Hoyd says, It's terrible to have been hurt. It's unfair and awful and horrid. But Shallan, it's okay to live on. End quote. I've seen this tattooed on people's oh, arms. Yeah, it is, definitely. you know, one of those lines that is most quoted from the Stormlight Archive. The difference for many people in traumatic situations, hearing, oh, you can just move on, or it's time to move on, or don't worry, you will one day move on. All of these things that for a person who is experiencing the trauma and is processing that trauma doesn't normally feel that mm. way. Like it is not a uh, light at the end of the tunnel that they can see. That's not what they are going through or a good description of what they are going through. I think that a line like this that just gives permission to like, you don't have to move on. It's okay to be hurt and it's bad and we're, you know, it's a horrid thing that happens, but like you can live on. It's going to be okay. And then finally, the last line, would you read that one for us? Quote, accept the pain, but don't accept that you deserved it. End quote. Another very popular one. Yes, of course, transformational for Shallan and her character growth seems to be that she is processing that very idea that she is trying to accept the pain that she did experience and is experiencing and accepting the idea that she does not deserve that. I think it's important just the fact that Hoyd is here for this Incredibly little important. bit of trauma processing. And yes, he does show up when, you know, Kaladin is having a hard time and is like processing things as well. But he shows up for Shallan more and in a slightly different way where he is much more of what we think is like true Hoyd mm -hmm. versus hiding behind his wit persona. And it just begs the question, why is Hoyd so interested in Shallan? Like, what is this relationship? What does Shallan mean to Hoyd? I just have so many questions. Because it was instantaneous. Remember, Hoyd has known Shallan since she was a child. Yeah. Let's actually read the quote where Hoyd first sees Shallan. He does not go to see Shallan. He goes to see her father, which is another interesting thing. But here is the short quote from their very first meeting. Quote, a man she did not know sat next to father with a cup of chilled water in one hand, tall, slender, and blue-eyed. He had a deep black hair without a hint of impurity and wore clothing the same shade. 
He glanced at Shallan as she stepped up into the box. The man started, dropping his cup to the table. He caught it with a swift lunge, keeping it from tipping over, then turned to stare at her with a slack jaw, end quote. The vision of a child Shallan was so impactful to Hoyd that it yeah, broke we, him. We never see Hoyd this surprised yes. by anything. I mean... Like, Yasna has come out of the <laughs> nether regions, and Hoyd has watched cities fall Completely and empires crumble. And Shallan shows up, and he is Slackjaw? Why? And then he returns multiple times in important moments throughout Shallan's life when her brother Helleran, and they're finding out information about him, and of course in the girl who stood up as well. So the question is, why? What? When? How? Yeah. <laughs> What is Hoyd's interest in Shallan? There are a spectacular number of theories. This is one of the big questions, obviously, because everyone loves Hoyd and Shallan's a main character. So it's just like, what is their connection? Many people have speculated it's just about Hoyd knew about Radiance. He knew about Lightweavers. He knew all of those. And we can kind of assume that she is at least one of the, the first early radiants in in this time period anyway and if hoyd had the breaths that we believe he now does have in the present he would also be able to sense a spren that was along with shallan so maybe he wasn't slackjaw at seeing shallan but he was seeing the pattern yeah at that time it would have been the first pattern testament but the pattern is what was actually making him feel amazed because it would have been the first time he had seen a spren bonded with a human. And so that's one theory that it's just a light weaver type of thing and connection. There's other theories as well. Should we talk about some theories um, about the actual story of the girl who looked up? Of course. This entire podcast is just about ways we can get to crazy theorizing and so we're diving off the deep end now into what does this story mean and what are people asking about it i think that it's very possible that this story the girl who looked up is a very old story like hoyd says it's from long ago i think maybe it's from like very, 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 very long ago. <laughs> and that maybe this is an origin story all the way back to Adenalsium, and that this is like a story about the first time that humans got investiture, mm -hmm. that it's an allegory for bringing power into the physical realm. Like you were saying earlier, with Shallan like reaching into the spiritual realm to bring power through. That kind of is exactly the story of the girl who looked up. Of course, we have this division, this dividing line in the Cosmere of post-Adenalsium and pre-Adenalsium. And we know very, very little about pre-Adenalsium. And we know everything that happened post-Adenalsium is because of the shattering of Adenalsium. And so the concept of a story that comes from the before time that would have been introduced in Oathbringer, and then we would eventually, I hope, find out the true truth of this story you know years or decades down the road if brandon just drops this one more time and it's actually like a, a three-peat and we yes. get some you know like long... i hope this story just keeps coming back and each time it's like slightly more different until we find out the truth 
But I think because Hoyd calls it God light Mm -hmm. and because he has it set in a time when apparently there is no sun like at all, you know, it's completely dark. We compared it to the Adam and Eve story, but maybe we need to go further back in Genesis. And this is like the let there be light story. (laughs) Yes. To go in a completely different direction, there are some other theories that perhaps this is Hoyd's kind of origin story, that Hoyd is actually the girl. And I thought that this theory fit with the Unkalaki, the horn eaters, calling him the trickster god. Mm -hmm. This would be a very trickster god-ish story if a younger... Hoyd, you know, went on some madcap journey to steal God's light and do something. And that version, to me, strikes a lot more at the Greek mythology of Prometheus stealing fire from the gods. Mm, Yeah. And I feel like Hoyd would really fit well into that role. Also, because then there is a punishment aspect from the gods for stealing fire. And Hoyd sometimes seems like a being that is trapped in a punishment, uh, maybe not of his design, maybe of his own design. Yeah, he certainly has some restrictions. Yeah, so there seems to be... If this was a Hoyd origin story, I would definitely, you know, place it more in that camp. Whereas if it's a Genesis story, then it definitely seems more like they let there be light type Mm -hmm. of moment. I will say that there is word of Brandon that he based this story on something akin to a Pandora myth. So a little bit different than Prometheus, but he also kind of said, and stories like Mm -hmm. that so he just called out pandora specifically interesting now i would wonder what's left in the box because both of these stories are kind of about like light getting out but pandora's Mm -hmm. box is obviously what's still in the box. yeah you're like what's still left over there on the other side of the wall exactly okay i'll I'll take another pass at this yeah looking for the uh the pandora's box of this whole situation you found an interesting theory yes this was on the internet i am not saying i 100 percent believe it but i really like the cosmere connection where this is the origin story of chris our cosmere scholar She is an inquisitive girl who challenges her own people, but most importantly, she is born on Darkseid, and literally her entire people, her entire way of life is in the dark, and she goes to see God's light, which on Taldane, the sun... Is the sun. (laughs) Yes, the sun is the power source of autonomy and, you know, kind of his resting place. And that light is literally, you know, beating out onto the day side of the planet. And so all the cities there would be, you know, magically in God's light because it is in the sunlight, which is the opposite of anything that she's ever experienced. And so a very literal telling of the story is just, this is the story of Chris (laughs) going from where she was and then moving into where she was inspired to become the woman that she eventually is, which is our Cosmere Scholar long down the road. Super interesting take. And I do think that there is a chance that this is a story from another world and maybe has been brought to Rishar a long time ago by world hoppers, specifically thinking about how when Shalon tells the story, the girl's hair 
magically turns white. It just makes me think, is this maybe from Elantris or some other world where white hair is more common? I will say, just for the people who are less interested in all the crazy theories, that the most basic theory for this dividing line is very much a the humans came to Rishar and on that planet there were the Parshendi and there is a mountain range around Shinovar and so they would have landed in their one world and gone up and found the Parshendi on the other side of the mountain range and it's kind of a very it's just another version and another telling of the story that we learn most detailed in right. and so it's just another way of introducing that story and that kind of idea i think see that's an interesting comparison too because like you said later in this book we get the humans are void bringers Mm -hmm. reveal which is a very shallan way of looking at this story which then makes me go well what else is there that's a very good that story then because hoyd tells us that the moral of the story is not that humans are just the monsters and While this was only on our patron-exclusive book club, we are talking about the Skyward series over there, and that's a great series that has a very fractal kind of experience, where the big story is also the medium story, which is also the small story. No spoilers for that series whatsoever, but for... And it does have a similar reveal-type thing that happens. My final thought on the girl who stood up is Brandon has introduced these characters, these kind of like trauma-based heroes, these trauma superheroes that are taking strength from their weaknesses. And we see Shallan brought low and then aided by Hoyd, maybe helping her move to her fourth ideal, just like he will eventually help Kaladin to move to his fourth ideal. That would be a very interesting role for Hoyd if he's helping everyone get to, including Yasna, who he has a very close relationship right around the time that she is beginning to swear her fourth ideal. Like, it's a strange role for Hoyd to be filling. But mainly what I get from this telling is that Brandon is very capable of introducing these characters who we fall in love with and then bringing them down very very low only to help us process not just the character's trauma but our own trauma as well and then move forward on to that next step and so i think it's just the really impressive thing that doesn't need to exist for a story to be great but when it does exist it moves these stories into a different realm for a lot of people when it's actually part of their life in a meaningful way Mm -hmm. that it helped them grow as people you know we say the first ideal at the end of every episode and that's because it's more important than just words to you and i and i think to a lot of people this story and many of these stories that we're getting are more important than just words and so as always hats off to the sando for writing great words As we mentioned at the beginning, we will be back with another story this time, the one that I and hopefully you have all been waiting for, the moon story, which is Hoyd's proper parable from Oathbringer. As always, tell us what you think. Tell us all of your crazy stories about the girl who looked up. 
uh, on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter. You can email us still if you're old school like that. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Mm -hmm.